I just kind of want to tell you that, uh, well, today is our last lesson in Ephesians, Lord willing. And uh, I kind of want to tell you where we're going to be headed for the next several weeks. And so I wrote some things on the board here. I, I feel like there's an ever-increasing need to keep defining the gospel. And so I'm, I'm going to attempt to do that for us. And uh, so if you will, we're going to be looking at a lot of terms that have to do with the gospel and with salvation and talking about what they are and talking about what is the gospel message. What, what is the content of the biblical gospel? And what does it mean when we say that we preach the gospel or that we're going to tell somebody the gospel? And uh, so I, I want to kind of give you a comprehensive understanding of what that is and then what the different elements of it are and then show you all of the biblical support for those things. And um, along with that, I want to talk about how the gospel applies to evangelism. And uh, if you will, you know, what is the content of the message that we give to people when we tell them the gospel? And how should we do that? How should we approach that? And uh, maybe show you uh, a couple of different approaches that I think are, are really biblical. And uh, I think it'll be something that'll be really encouraging and enlightening to you. Uh, and then after that, I'm not sure exactly how long I'm going to spend here. I'm also going to talk um, maybe one or two weeks about the cross specifically and how it applies to evangelism and how uh, we should view the cross. And I want to maybe give you some things to think about that you may not have seen before. Uh, but then also, I was going to do a little section on, on some end times things, which we've done very little here at, at Heritage, talking about end times. And uh, what I hope to do here is to talk about the subject of the millennium. And so it's going to be kind of a focused discussion about the millennium itself. Uh, and then I, you know, I wrote some questions here. Is there such a thing as a millennium? And if so, when, who, what? How and why, and maybe some other questions as well. And then so we would enter into these discussions about what is amillennialism, what is postmillennialism, and what is premillennialism. And what I want to do is, is help you to understand what are the basic tenets of each of those doctrinal positions concerning eschatology, and then show you what the biblical support might be for each of them or what their approach uh, to the millennium is and why they might draw the conclusion they draw. And then, if you will, you'll kind of be equipped to understand the different schools of thought and you can apply the scriptures as you see them to kind of get a framework of your own position. Uh, I'll tell you right now that uh, the elders at, at Heritage are all premillennialists. And uh, so, you know, we, we have reasons why we hold that position. But I, I think that anybody who's a serious Bible student should understand what these other positions are and should always be exploring the, the content of those to, to sharpen our own positions, especially when you get into eschatology. Some of these things get pretty complex pretty fast. So uh, I was hoping to uh, cover some of those things and kind of give you some ammo and maybe even help you to get the right goggles on when you're looking at prophecy in the Scripture and so on and so forth. So I hope that will be helpful as well. And then we may actually have a couple of weeks left 
uh, before the class lets out, which is in May. I think the last uh, class is in mid-May. Maybe it's the third week in May. Um, so we might address a couple other things. I, I had asked if anybody wanted me to address anything specifically, and I did have somebody mention something to me uh, verbally. And then I got one email from somebody else asking for me to talk about something that will take me about four years. You're starting out. But uh, so anyway, uh, if there's anything that comes to mind that you would like to see us address, maybe a more controversial issue, I would be happy to try and tackle that if I have a, a week or two left here at the end of the class. Okay? So with that, let's go ahead and pray. God, our Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. God, we praise your holy name. Lord, we've gathered today to worship you and to give you glory and honor and sing praises to your wonderful name, God. Lord, we've, we've gathered to give you thanks and to thank you for your gracious gift of life to us. O oh Lord, that you sustain our lives and give us all that we need. Oh Lord, we want to thank you for all of your goodness to us. That you would send your son Jesus to die for our sins, God, and to live a perfect life of righteousness which you give to us freely who believe, who trust you. Father, we, we thank you for such a privilege. We thank you, Lord, for your holy word that you have given to us such complete and comprehensive uh, instructions for life, God. Oh, Lord, you've revealed yourself to us. You've revealed your beauty and your power and your glory and, and the reason why we exist. And, God, we thank you for your holy word. We ask, Lord, that you would impress it upon our hearts. Oh, Lord, that you would cause us to consider your word Oh, Lord, with the serious nature of it, may we be serious about it, God. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, convict our hearts today of those things which, which separate us from you. God, that you would help us, God, to humble ourselves before you and to recognize your great sovereign hand in our lives and all of your goodness. God, may we be a grateful and a thankful people. Lord, I, I pray as we look at your word today that you would challenge us, Lord, and, and help us to grow and to become more like you. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to see in these short few verses, God, the great priority that you have for the church. Oh, Lord, we, we thank you for the privilege of gathering in this place. We thank you for the privilege that we have to freely proclaim your word. And we honor you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Okay, so with that, we're back in our study of Ephesians. And I'm going to go ahead and read from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, through the end of the book. Hear now the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak but that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Amen? Amen. All right. So, just a brief review of where we were last week. We had uh, finished uh, talking about the section there on the armor of God, which really ends in verse 17. And there, Paul kind of takes up this this idea of of crowning the whole section of the book from chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 6, verse 17. And there he has given us this great body of practical (coughs) instruction on how to live the Christian life. At the end of all of this practical instruction, he makes this great analogy of the Christian life being one of warfare. And there is where he brings in the whole discussion about the panoply, which was the, the armor that was worn in those days. And he talks about how we're to put on this armor and fight this battle. He tells us the nature of the struggle. He tells us who we're struggling with. He says in verse 12, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And, of course, we went through and we looked at the Greek terms for that. And there, there, if you will, is a rank and file of heavenly beings. that Paul is saying that our great struggle is against these spiritual forces of wickedness, these these fallen demon uh, angels, which he describes as rulers and powers and principalities. And going on through, he tells us how to be armed against these uh, uh, who we war with. And he tells us that this armor is of God and that we are to stand in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And and Paul tells us that we're to fight the Christian uh, battle 
in the strength that God provides and in the armor that God provides. And if you will, summing up all these things, showing these great resources that we have in the Christian life that God has given to us. We don't fight with our own armor. We don't fight with our own strength. We depend upon the Lord. Our trust is in God. And the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen? And so just like is uh, so well laid out for us in the book of Ephesians, we see these riches that we have in Christ. Remember in the first three chapters, there's this whole theme and discussion about the surpassing riches of the grace of God that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. And even on into this practical section of the book, Paul's saying, look, you're going to fight this, uh, this warfare in the Christian life, but you don't do it in your own strength. You do it in God's strength. And you don't do it with your own means. You do it with God's means. And what are God's means? The righteousness and the peace and the faith and all of these things which he describes that we're armed and equipped with, which all come from God. And so the battle truly belongs to the Lord. And we've been given everything that we need to, to fight the warfare of Christian life. And uh, so in summing up all those things, Paul comes to this one issue which he really hasn't addressed. Now, he's prayed several times in the book, but he hasn't really given us a lot of instruction about prayer. And so if you will, he kind of is summing up the whole book here with the idea that we are to be a praying people. And he uses these terms which are really kind of very comprehensive and, 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 uh, and very inclusive of, of everything that he's been discussing in the book. And so that's why he says in verse 18, he says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view... Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And he's making these all-inclusive statements. And he's trying to say this ought to cover over everything that we've been saying and summing the whole book up with this idea of prayer. And so last week we began to look at at, uh, breaking down these, these words that Paul is speaking about prayer. And we looked at the idea that... that the, our prayer is to be with all prayer, he says, and petition. So he doesn't just say pray with petitions, but he says with all prayer. And he's making a point there. And if you will, uh, I was pointing to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which is very familiar verses to us. But look what it says there. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. But what? In all your ways, acknowledge him. So, you know, here the scripture is saying, in everything that you do, acknowledge God. There's this idea of living the Christian life in everything before God. And that's the idea that Paul is implying with his, with his prayer. He's saying, with all prayer. So all these things that you do in the Christian life that I've been telling you about for the last three chapters, he says... Do these things with all prayer, he says. A great variety of prayer. Our prayers also then have one to whom they are addressed. And he alone has the power to grant our requests. Therefore, we petition him. And there's this idea. He says, with all prayer and petition. So think about what he's saying. He's saying that 
here we are going to live this Christian life and fight this Christian warfare, but he says we need to petition God. This implies several things about God. That God's on the throne, He has all the resources, and we need to go to Him in order to have them, to possess them, to attain them, right? And we need to go to God with petitions. We need to go to God and say, God, please. Abba, Father, right? And there's this whole sense of dependence on God that's implied in the words of Paul. He says we go to God with all prayer and petition. And this is common in the Bible. But something that we need to see is that um, God is disposed to answer prayer. God is, is glorified by prayer because prayer comes to God in humility. And it recognizes its dependence on God. And that alone is exalting God. And it's causing us to have a proper esteem of ourselves when we see ourselves in relation to the Creator. We're not the Creator. We're the creature. And we need to make that healthy distinction constantly and continually in our life, lest we think that we're living this life in our own strength and by our own means and with our own power. Amen? And so that's why the scripture tells us, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and acknowledge him in all of your ways, right? Because if we see ourselves in, in, in reality as we really are, so dependent on God, then our, our, our life, our prayer life is going to reflect that. And we're going to be going to God with petition. We're going to be going to God with uh, requests and supplications, the scripture says. And so, uh, uh, again, you know, like in Philippians 4, Paul there, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And so Paul is saying, look, he says, in everything. Right? He's not just saying, you know, only when you have a big do you go to prayer. Right? And only when the sky is falling in, then you can cry out to God. But you know, God's not concerned about the little things in life. Is that what Paul's saying? No, no, no. No, no he's, he's, he's repeating the proverb, if you will. In all your ways acknowledge God. In everything that you do. And that's what he's saying here in Philippians. He says, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Think in the Christian life how many foolish choices we've made because we did not take it to God in prayer and seek His will. And typically these are just the kind of mundane things, decisions that we make in, in the melu of life. And we're just kind of going right on through life like a bull in a china closet and not giving much thought to our actions or our words or our response to a given situation. You know, how about uh, when you're in a difficult situation with people in a relationship, and uh, you know there's something very urgent taking place, and everybody's emotions are are, are heightened, and we respond in very uh, substandard ways because we don't stop and we don't pray. We we you know we don't realize hey I'm in a difficult spot here I'm liable to blow it, right? And we don't stop and look to God for help. We don't stop and look to God for wisdom. See, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying with all prayer, 
You know, how are you gonna how are you husbands gonna love your wives? How how are you wives gonna be submissive to your husbands? How are the saints gonna be subject to one another in everything? With all the things that we face in life, how are we going to uh, live a life of love and be an imitator of Christ with all of our actions if we're not constantly in prayer before God seeking His will? You see, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, all these things I've been telling you, he says you need to do these things with all prayer and with petition to God. Same thing he's saying in Philippians. He says in everything... In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, you know, this implies that God is disposed to answering prayer. Right? I mean, if here, he, if here is God's apostle telling us in the scripture to take everything to God in prayer, what do you suppose that expresses about the heart of God and wanting to respond to those prayers? Amen? Amen. And, and how many opportunities we pass up to glorify God because we won't go to Him for His wisdom. That's right. Or we won't go to Him for His strength when we're in a difficult spot. And so we blow it because we do it with the arm of the flesh. Right. Yeah, how can you parent kids? How can you do that? In your own strength. I mean, where are you going to get the patience to parent teenagers? Are you going to manufacture that? No, what's going to happen? I mean, well, you're going to blow it every time because they're going to test you. They're going, to, as a matter of fact, <laughs> they're going to put you to the test like you've never been tested before, right? Many of you parents know exactly what I'm talking about, right? How how are you going to love and nurture and care for those kids with the tender, loving kindness of Christ if you don't do it in His strength? And if you're not trusting in Him and acknowledging Him in all of your ways and living your life moment by moment, walking by the Spirit of God in trust and independence on God. Amen? Mm -hmm. And so it is that your life becomes a constant, unceasing prayer unto God. And that's really what Paul's saying. Right? Pray without ceasing. To live your life in that constant state of communion and prayer and communication with God. So that you're able to fight the warfare in the battle, in the struggle. Amen? Which we all know is so prevalent in our lives. But think about the fact that, listen, God has promised to hear our prayers and to answer. You know, that ought to give us great faith. It ought to give us great boldness in our prayer. Listen to what the Lord says. It says in Proverbs 15:8, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is His delight. God delights in your prayers. Amen? That is if they are in the Spirit. Amen? About John 16:24, Jesus says, Until now you have asked me for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. <coughs> And your joy, that your joy may be made full. What's he saying to you? What is Jesus saying to you when he says, Ask for anything in my name and you will receive it? Just that. Exactly that. Amen? So if you ask 
for something in the name of Jesus. In other words, consistent and according to his will and purpose. Amen? He says, you'll have what you receive. That's what the scripture says. How about uh, Luke 11, 9 and following? And I say to you, he says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. You know, I think we're disposed to arguing with Jesus about this. Does the flesh rise up inside you and ask, ask a big old question mark? Oh yeah, the Lord will answer everything but my prayers. Right? Does that happen to you? It happens to me. I have a lot of doubts about the things I pray to God. And I always wonder, Lord, am I praying according to your will? Is this what you really want, God? You know? Or a lot of times I'm reluctant to pray because I just don't feel a lot of confidence in my prayer. You know? And really that's my flesh discouraging me. Because God says he's disposed to answering my prayers. He says to him who asks, he receives. To him who seeks, he finds. You know, there's this whole thing. You know, asking, seeking. You know, look. If we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, we want to understand His will. Because we know that God answers prayer according to His will. Amen? We'll look at that also. James 1.5 says, If any of you uh, lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You know, here's another thing. If you don't know what to pray for, right? Then ask God. Amen? God, what do I pray I see this hopeless situation, God. I don't know what to do. Help me, God. Help me understand. Help me to know what to pray. Give me your heart. Give me your mind, God. Give me your passion. Give me your zeal. Lord, help me. You know, if we just humble ourselves and realize what, how dependent we truly are on God. It's no wonder it's such a struggle for us sometimes to live the Christian life because we're trying to do it out of the energy of the flesh. And you just can't do it. The flesh has no power to live the Christian life. In fact, it is at enmity with God. Amen? So if you know, if we're going to fulfill all these high and these holy commandments that we have in the Scripture, we're going to have to do it in the strength of the Lord. And we're going to have to go to Him with prayer and with supplication and with petition and with request and receive from Him what we need in order to fulfill His will. And the scripture says he's disposed to answering our prayer. In fact, it is his delight. There's this whole thing. I don't know about you. When you're reading through the Old Testament, you get to, you get to these scriptures. Several prophets put it like this. They say, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. If you stop and consider what God is saying there, it is something very profound. And and if you will, God is delighting in this relationship that he has, being our God and us being his people. You know? And if you think about it in terms of maybe even an Old Testament uh, wartime, you know, these guys would go to war and it was all about the gods. Right? Whose God was going to grant the victory, you know, this, this day? And, uh, and whoever would prevail in the war, they would say, well, oh, those gods are powerful. 
Or these gods are, are mad at those guys, so they didn't give them victory today, or whatever. And you can see similar language in the Bible. And you would see many times when the people were out of favor with God, that God would not deliver them in battle, right? You remember when they came through and, and they went through the city of Ai, and, and uh, our buddy Achan uh, took an idol with him, and then they went up, right, to war again. And what happened? They were defeated. So Joshua came back and he fell down before the Lord and he said, Lord, what's the scoop here? Right? God said, you better start throwing the lot. And I'm going to bring forth the man. You're going to see what's going on inside the camp of Israel. Right? Of course, you all know the story of Achan. It's a tragic ending. But the point is, is that, <clears throat> you know, God was there, and he was seeking to delight in being their God and deliver the city into their hands, but he couldn't do it. Why? Because there was sin in the camp. Amen? And the people were out of favor with God. But think about how in the heart of God is this longing for relationship, that he might be our God, and that we might be his people, and that, that we live such a life that is pleasing to God, that God is pleased and disposed to answering our prayers and delivering us through every trial and toil and snare. Amen? Because I promise you, when you lay hold of the horns of that altar, and you do it with sincerity and with faith, God is going to hear, and He is going to answer your prayer. God gives grace to the humble. That's what the Scripture says. Amen? He's worthy of your trust. In fact, it is an affront to God that you should try to carry out His commandments in the arm of the flesh. That's a repulsive thing to Him. Amen? God help us to walk by the Spirit. And here Paul says that we should pray at all times and that our prayer should be in the Spirit. To pray at all times means that we should constantly pray all day long. We should be on the alert in prayer and that we should not cease from praying. You know, Paul says, pray at all times. Could he be any more clear? Could he, could he use words that would include more situations? It's, it's, a, it's a sweeping statement. He's saying, pray at all times. In other words, pray all the time, Paul is saying. Amen? Amen. And, and he's not just saying pray all the time, but he's saying pray all the time with what? With all prayer. With every kind of prayer. With prayers of thanksgiving. With prayers of supplication. Right? With prayers expressing your dependence and your need for God's help. Amen? Since our struggles are with an enemy who never sleeps... We should be constantly in that state of spiritual awareness and ready to meet his schemes with trust in God's power. Remember the enemy that we fight. Right? These are spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And they ain't playing games. Amen? Just open your eyes and look at the destruction going on in the world around you. And you'll see the fruit of their labors. And know that you are many times the subject of their warfare. And you know, we talked about how they wage war, right? That the devil wages war with deceitful scheming. Remember that? 
And the word uh, in the Greek is the word methodia, which is to speak of methods, that he has methods by which he tempts you to sin against God, and that he has these schemes or wiles that he seeks to deceive you with. Amen? We're all caught up in this warfare, and, and let me tell you, the enemy you fight never sleeps. The scripture says he roars, he, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Right? He doesn't sleep. He works overtime. Amen? Scripture tells us because he knows his time is short. And getting shorter. <laughs> getting shorter, we might add. Luke 18.1, Jesus says to his disciples, Now he was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. You know, Jesus taught the same thing. That they ought to pray at all times. Let me ask you a question. What keeps us from praying at all times? When the Bible so clearly tells us to do it. Okay, Satan puts our thoughts on other things. Yeah, Charlie? Our lives are more centered around us and our accomplishments, what we need to get done that day, mm-hmm. and what we need our kids to get done that day, or mm-hmm. what we need our employees to get done that day, and it's not mm-hmm. God-centered. It's Amen. Mm-hmm. We have very man-centered thinking, don't we? Mm-hmm. We're all humanists by nature, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Consumed with self, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so we're not consumed with the thoughts of God. We don't have our minds set on heavenly things if indeed we're not praying at all times. Because as soon as we start consuming our thoughts with heavenly things and with the will and the purpose and the plan of God, right, we'll recognize our great need for God to carry it all out, to live in a manner that glorifies Him. Carlos? Uh, here's a little commentary. I'm not really sure who said that. It's kind of, uh, kind of cool. It says it says. Another way is to order your life around God's desires and teachings so that your very life becomes a prayer. Right? Amen. Kind of Amen. And that's the idea of praying without ceasing, isn't it? And, you know, many of us do live this way. As a matter of fact, I trust that most of you are walking by the Spirit on a daily basis, which means that you're walking in an unceasing prayer to God. I don't know about you. I'm walking down the street. I'm driving down the road. Me and God, man, we're just... Having all kinds of lovely discourse. Amen? I mean, you know, it's just, you know, when you walk by the Spirit, everything in life becomes a privilege. And it doesn't matter what you put your hand to. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you just, you know, you're thankful for everything. You know, and so you face a little difficulty and you think, oh, God, what a privilege that I might be refined today. You have those kind of thoughts? I do. I do. I've begun to see that God has designed my life to make me holy and to glorify Him. Amen? So no matter what I face, if I'm facing it in prayer with God, I mean, what am I going to do? Go to God. Now, God, why'd you give me this flat tire today? You know, me and you, we got to have a talk, God. You know, Or whatever it may be. That's not going to happen. When you go to God in prayer, what is your disposition going to be? You know, exactly. It's like this. But but in everything, don't be anxious. Right? But by prayer and, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so there's always this disposition that you have with God. 
You know, and what is that disposition? Well, when you're tapped into God, man, your heart is full of peace. It's full of joy. It's full of patience and kindness and gentleness. And when your mind is set on heavenly things, life just becomes a privilege. Amen? Amen. You can't do this apart from prayer. You cannot do it apart from unceasing prayer. But I want to tell you, on the contrary, if you will walk in unceasing prayer, your life will be filled with the fruit of the Spirit of God. And you will walk around with peace in your heart, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And you'll have patience with those kids and with that difficult boss. Right? And you'll, you'll, you'll have everything that you need to live the way that God has commanded us to live. But you can't do it if you're not tapped into God through prayer. Because all that stuff comes from Him. Amen? Amen. It's the fruit of the Spirit of God. It's a fruit that comes from the Spirit dwelling within. Amen? It comes by walking in the Spirit and by praying in the Spirit. This prayer, Paul says, should be in the Spirit. What's he saying to us, right? Here's how it reads in the NASU. It says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Right? Well, this is to say that it should be in accordance with and consistent with God's Word and will. It's the same thing that it means to walk in the Spirit. Okay? To walk in a manner which is consistent with God's will. To walk in a manner which is consistent with God's character and His nature. Right? And so if you're going to pray, you need to pray in the Spirit. What does that mean? Pray with your prayers motivated by the knowledge of God granted to you by the Spirit of God. Amen? I mean, you're not going to get on your knees because you had a fight with your boss. You're not going to go in your prayer closet and say, Oh God, smoke him. (laughs) You know? Send down lightning from heaven, God. I hate his guts. You with me? You're not going to pray to God in the flesh. No, you're going to pray how? In the Spirit. Right? Which is life and peace. You're going to pray in the Spirit with the wisdom that God gives. You're going to pray in the Spirit in accordance with the will of God. Oh God, that mean old boss of mine, have mercy on his soul, God. Oh God, forgive his sins. God, shine your light into his heart. Right? You wouldn't wish the judgment of God on your worst enemy if you knew what it really looked like. Amen? I mean, you're a Christian. Vengeance isn't yours. Vengeance is God's. Amen? We're to, we, we, you know what? We return a blessing for a curse. Amen? That's who we are. And listen, when we walk by the Spirit and we pray in the Spirit, that's how we pray, according to the Spirit of God's good grace. Amen? And you know what that mean old boss needs? He just needs somebody to love him. He just needs somebody to return some genuine kindness and grace, just like God has done for you. That's what will get their attention. Amen? Mm-hmm. Think about how often you know, you're in the workplace. 
Think about how often you actually see somebody humble themselves when there's conflict. It's pretty rare. Right? But you know, as a Christian, it ought to be our practice all the time. People ought to see us and know us as humble individuals. Amen? And I'll tell you, humility is a thing that really stands out like a sore thumb in this world. When somebody actually humbles himself, that's a bright light shining. Amen? Think about it. Think about how we deal with conflict on a daily basis. And think about whether or not we're walking in the Spirit. And think about when we get on our knees and we pray for people. Are we praying in the Spirit? Are we praying according to the will and the plan and the purposes and the hearts and the emotions of God? Is our thinking, is our prayer life motivated with the same kinds of things that God feels and the same kinds of things that God thinks? Amen? That's what he means by praying in the Spirit. He means praying according to the character and the nature of God. Amen? So you wouldn't, you wouldn't get on your knees and pray with all prayer and petition at all times with thoughts of the flesh. Right? You see that. You see Jesus correcting the disciples, right? I forget where it is, but they're saying, Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven? <laughs> Remember that? Right? Jesus kind of rebukes them, doesn't he? You say, man, you guys aren't thinking the thoughts of God. You're thinking the thoughts of men. Amen? And that's what he's trying to say to him, Guys, you need to do this thing in the Spirit. Right? Filled with the love and the grace and the mercy and the wisdom of God. Amen? Amen. To pray in the Spirit is to pray what God would have us pray according to his will, which he is therefore favorably disposed to answer. Now look at 1 John 5.14 and following. It's on your handout there. John writes and he says, And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Now, that's a powerful scripture right there. What's it saying? It's saying, if you pray according to the will of God, that you have what you asked from him. That's what it says. Right? So what do you got to do? Well, you got to do like Paul says in several other places. Like in Romans 12, too, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might be able to discern what is God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen? You see, you can't be conformed to the world, but you got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you can discern what the will of God is. Then you'll know how to pray in the Spirit and according to the Spirit of God and according to God's perfect will in a situation. Right? You can't pray God's will if you don't have the wisdom of God, especially in many of the difficult situations we find ourselves in on a daily basis. Amen? That's why we got to do everything with prayer. That's why we got to be praying at all times, with all prayer. 
We got to be tapped into God, you know, because we so we so naturally think earthly thoughts, and we're so consumed with the earth, and we're so consumed with the flesh and with ourselves. We don't frequently see with the eyes of God, right? You remember Elisha and his uh, Kimosabi, and they're walking along, right? And they they uh, they come across the enemy, right? And uh, Elisha's Kimosabi, I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be disrespectful. But he's Elisha. Elisha's buddy is uh, his servant. Anybody remember his name? Gehazi. 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 There it is. Gehazi. Gehazi is trembling in his boots. Man, look at this enemy, right? What's Elisha pray? God, open his eyes that he might see that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Amen? Amen. Right? Why? Because Gehazi's got his eyes on the enemy. And Elisha's got his eyes in heaven. Amen? Amen? Amen. There's a principle there. You with me? (laughs) That when you get the vision of God, when you see the circumstances of your life from God's perspective, right? Then you understand very clearly what's taking place. And you know when the favor of God rests on you, you're not going to fail. He who gave his own son, will he not graciously give us all things? Mm-hmm. What, what is it that's going to separate us from the love of God in Christ? Mm-hmm. Shall trouble or hardship or naked or peril or life or death or any demon or angel or any other thing? What's going to separate us from the good love of God in Christ? Nothing. Nothing. Right? Got to get our eyes off the circumstance and get our eyes onto God. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> When we do this, when we get our eyes on God, when we have the wisdom of God, when we've been transformed by the renewing of our mind, when we let the scripture become that which governs our thinking process, then we know how to pray according to the will of God. And we know that we have what we asked of him. Amen? And when you really learn how to pray according to the will of God, it looks very different from prayers that are offered up in the flesh. Because you're concerned about the things that God is concerned about. You know, the, fir- the first thing we think of, you know, I think about when we're like on a Wednesday night, you know, people get prayer requests, you know. You know, it- it's typically about, you know, this person's sick and that person's sick and this person's having a physical ailment and that person's having a physical ailment. And I, you know, I'm always captured with these, the idea of this. You know, we're so focused on the physical struggle in the physical body that we don't give thought to the really important thing, which is what is God doing in the midst of this for His own glory and for the fame of His own name? Which is also, I might add, for the good of His people. Because all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. So whatever those things are that you're facing in your life have been designed by God. And by His mighty providence, He's using them to work together for your good. Amen? And those are the kind of questions we ought to be asking. Not that we shouldn't pray for healing. We should. Of course we should. Okay? But what I'm suggesting is that that is secondary, not primary. What is primary is the spiritual things of God. Amen? And many of us look back on many of those kinds of physical struggles that we've been through in our life. And we look back and we say, oh, now I know what God was working. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amen? 
I would have never learned. I remember Jackie Turner giving testimony and saying, saying, uh, uh, she says, I wouldn't change a thing. She went through a bout with, with cancer uh, recently and uh, chemotherapy and all of that. She got to the other side of that thing. She was glorifying God. She said, I wouldn't change a single thing. She said, I look back through that. She said, I learned things about my relationship with God I could have never, ever learned any other way. Amen. Right? Didn't mean she didn't have to walk through the, the struggle and the trial of, that, of that, uh, that wicked disease. It was a terrible thing for her. Right? But she had, the, when she got to the other side, she had the heart and the mind of God through the matter. And she saw that God indeed was sovereign over her circumstance. And what he brought her through, she was glorifying God for. Amen? And we shouldn't be surprised, friends. We're all going to die of our last disease if the Lord doesn't come first. Amen? So we shouldn't, we shouldn't act surprised like it's coming upon us unawares. Right? We're all subject to death and decay. Amen? Amen. We got to get our eyes on the Lord. We got to get our eyes on what's important. We need to have an eternal perspective. Amen? Amen. We need to have a high view of God in our thoughts. We need to let our thoughts be captured and consumed with the principles and the truths from Scripture. Amen? Rick? An example of that, Sean, is Paul's prayers for the saints throughout his letters. Amen. Yeah, you look at what Paul prays, right? Philippians 1, 9 and following. Colossians 1, 9 and following. You look at the prayers of Paul. Ephesians chapter 1, verse uh, 18 and following. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and following. You look at the prayers of Paul. What's Paul praying for? Praying for strengthening of the inner man. Strengthening of the inner man. He's praying, God, give them spiritual wisdom and understanding. Right? May their love abound, he says, and, and uh, with all knowledge and discernment and depth of insight, he says. God, help them to understand the struggle they're fighting. He's praying for spiritual wisdom and understanding that we might do what? Bearing fruit in every good work with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. And he's praying that our lives will be filled with spiritual fruit. Amen. He's got his eyes on heaven. He's a spiritual man, and he's praying in the Spirit. Amen? You want to know what it looks like to pray in the Spirit? Read those sections of text I just told you about. You'll see it right there in the words of Paul. But here he says, look what he says. Beyond the alert, beyond the alert, he says, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Here Paul says, to be on the alert with all perseverance... And petition for all the saints. This is to emphasize the great importance of continual prayer, but that this should be for all the saints. That is, for every Christian and all our beloved family of God. Here Paul tells us to pray for all the Christians. To pray for everybody in the family of God. To pray for the entire holy Catholic church. Right? You with me? The saints... Throughout all of the world, from every tribe and language and nation and people. Amen? That, that we are to be praying for them all. Amen? I'm so grateful to, to, 
to see that happening in our church on a regular basis. But but God help us not to fall short. Amen? We need to pray for all the saints. Christians have a great need. Look here. To be on the alert in their spiritual lives. To be on the alert in their, in their spiritual lives. As we have a tendency to slumber and are given to frequent wandering from our Lord's precious care. Now why does Paul tell us to be on the alert? Right? The answer to that is the same reason I was asking you earlier. Why don't we pray all the time? Right? Because you see, we're like those disciples. And I kind of mentioned this last week. You know, here they are. They're coming to the cross. Right? They made this march to Jerusalem. They get there. It's just before the Passover. The night before the Passover. And they're in the garden. And Jesus is praying. And he's obviously distressed. Right? Guys aren't paying any attention. You know? I mean, here's the greatest war that Jesus fights in his humanity. Right? And he comes to the guys. Guys! He says, watch and pray with me, he says. Pray with me, Mark 14. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? You hear the distress in Jesus' voice? Simon! You're the man. You're Peter. You're the big bad dude. Right? You with me? Right? Are you asleep? Peter, what are you doing? You're sleeping. This is the night of my betrayal. Where are you, Peter? Right? Could you not keep watch for one hour? He's saying, Peter, wake up, man. What's happening? Right? You hear the distress in Jesus' voice. And then he says to him, Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right? Now I want you to think about something right here. Get the picture, right? They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night before the cross. All the disciples are there. Jesus is in this urgent battle. He's trying to wake them up from their slumber. Right? And they don't get it. They don't get it. He says, pray and watch that you won't fall into temptation, Peter. Right? What happened the very next day? Peter makes the greatest failure of his earthly life. The very next day. Amen? Because he didn't hear Jesus' voice when he said, be on the alert, Peter. Pay attention. Wake up from your slumber, Peter. These things I'm telling you are urgent, Peter. Right? I was reading a book this week on preaching and preachers. And it was by Dr. Martin Lord Jones. And he was saying, the preacher has to preach with urgency. Going to this whole big long diatribe about the, the preacher preaching with urgency. Let me ask you a question. Why should a preacher preach with urgency? Wake up the flock. It's life and death. You know, we kind of have a tendency to think, oh, you know, we just kind of cruise on into church and we'll just kind of put her on cruise and lay right there in our nice comfy pew and sing some songs and praise the Lord. And all of that is wonderful and fabulous and we need to do that with our whole heart. Right? 
But friends, this is an urgent spiritual struggle that is taking place. You are in the midst of a warfare with demons, with spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places who are seeking to deceive you by their methods and their deceiving schemes. We have to be on the alert. Amen? And, I, you know, I think about it. You know, I, I think I look back as a parent, and I, I, I have a lot of regrets as a parent. I'll tell you one of my regrets. <clears throat> that I wasn't more alert as I was raising my kids. And as they were, when they were younger, you know, I have a tendency to think, well, you know, Bible study, family worship, you know, those things, they're important. Well, you know, we'll try to get them done. But, you know, you know, I kind of have this real sense of the flesh with me. I look back with regrets on that. I really do. Because I wasn't more alert. And, you know, now my kids are growing up and they're starting to become their own people and they're starting to, you know, develop their own thinking and so on and so forth. And I look at that and I, you know, I, I see when they're in their struggles of maturity and things like that. And I'm thinking, oh, God, oh, God, that I could have back a week, a month, a year. You know, I'd be more committed. I'd be more alert. And, you, you know, you older parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You younger parents, hear my words as a warning this morning. Be on the alert when you're raising those kids. Do everything you can to fill them with the wisdom and the power and the truth of God. Because they are going to grow up and they are going to fight a war being a Christian. Amen? And we all know. We've all been there. We're in the midst of it right now. Amen? Right? I don't mean to discourage you. I mean to encourage you. Right? By sharing my struggles with you. But listen, we need to be on the alert. Why? Because we're just like Peter. We're just like Peter. The greatest hour of temptation is upon us, and we're crashed. We're sawn logs. We're indifferent to the things of God. Amen? God help us. God help us to be on the alert because we have a tendency to slumber, and we are given to frequent wandering. We are given to frequent wandering. Amen? Think about your life. How do you tend to wander, Christian? What, what is it that you might be slumbering in right now? Hear God's voice. Respond. Wake up. Don't be like Peter. Wake up and hear the Lord's voice. Whatever it is that he's telling you now, he's telling you to be on the alert with all perseverance in prayer. Amen? God help us. Look what he says in Colossians 4.2. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Oh, how much more rich our Christian life would be if we would fulfill that one scripture. Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Amen? I don't know about you, but I got a problem with my prayer life. I don't pray enough. I don't know about you. I mean, I pray unceasingly. I have that kind of thing with prayer. It's like breathing with God. I do that. I can't help it. I'm filled with the Spirit of God. Right? But what I don't do is I don't have enough time of focused, fervent, quiet prayer in my closet. I don't do that enough. 
if you pray for me, pray that I will increase in that grace. I need to. I desperately need to. But I need to keep alert in my prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, he says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. See, Paul's saying the same thing Jesus was saying to Peter. He says, we're not like the rest of the world who's in darkness. We're the sons of the day. We're the sons of the light. We know what's going on. He says, so what should you do? You should be alert and sober. Spiritually sober. Sensitive to the spiritual issues of your life. That's what he's saying. Paying attention to what's happening in your spiritual life. Be on the alert, he's saying. Look at Peter. 1 Peter 5.8 Be of sober spirit and what? Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Look what Peter says. Here's Peter. He's the guy that learned the lesson the hard way, right? You with me? Peter grows up. He's mature. He's an apostle now. He's writing to the church. Look what he says. Be on the alert. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. That's God's word, Christian, to you and to me. Be on the alert because your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. Amen? Kind of reminds me of our military bases when the risk is even greater of our enemies coming, you know, national Mm -hmm. homeland security. Then the air bases go on high alert. Mm -hmm. And they tighten it up. Amen. A lot more careful. I think what you're doing today is giving us a high alert. Yeah. Tighten it up a little bit. I like that. They tighten it up. Where do we get that from here in this passage? (laughs) (laughs) Gird up your loins, right? Right? He says, He says, Gird up your loins with the truthfulness of God. Amen? Tighten them up, man. Be on the alert. Why? Because there's a very real enemy out there. Amen? And if your pants fall, you're embarrassed. Yeah, that too. Okay. He says, And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Here's a curious thing to me. Here Paul entreats the church for their intercession for his labor in the gospel. Now, Now get this. He asks that they pray for God to give Paul bold words to proclaim the gospel. Now, one would not think that Paul would need boldness. Right? For he seems to us bold as a lion. Yet this is the very thing the apostle requests of God. Now, if you think about Paul, last thing you're thinking is Paul needs boldness. Right? I mean, of all the bold preachers in the scripture, right? Paul's one of them. Amen? But look what he's praying for. That God would give me boldness, he says, in the proclamation of the gospel. There is much opposition in the world to the gospel. And it is a heated and constant warfare to make known the truth of the gospel with clarity and conviction. I point out two scriptures there where Peter and John are arrested for preaching the gospel and beaten and put in jail. 
And then also the same thing happens to Paul and Silas in Acts 16. There, but when her masters saw the hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. And the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. You know... There's a lot of opposition to the gospel in the world. And you know, if you're not experiencing much of that opposition, you're probably not preaching the gospel. Because that's the way the world receives it. And you know, the more clarity and the more conviction you deliver with the gospel, the increasing degree of persecuting response from the world. And, you know, we have a lot of freedom here in this country. It's a freedom and a privilege that we should enjoy, and we should make good use of while we have it. Because I'm here to tell you today, it is not going to last unless by some divine miracle God bring revival to this country. Okay? And it may be that he does bring revival, but even that may come by the blood of the martyrs who I might mention, are you and me. Amen? Amen. (coughs) Shall our Lord go before us on a cross into heaven? And shall we be carried on the shoulders of a cheering crowd? (coughs) No, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and deny himself and follow me. And whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Amen? We're ambassadors of the gospel. Amen? Let us preach it with boldness. Let us never cease to keep praying for our spiritual leaders, as they are many times the focus of intense warfare with the enemies of our souls. He who prays for his pastor prays for himself as well. Paul frequently sought the prayers of the church, and I listed a whole bunch of scriptures there where Paul was requesting the prayers of the church. Romans 15.30, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul was always asking for prayer because he was the subject of intense Warfare, as we see recorded right in the scripture. But you, that you also may know about my circumstances, verse 21, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Look what he says. I've sent Tychicus to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us 
and that he may comfort your hearts. Here we get a glimpse into the heart of Paul. And we see with what tender affection he loves the church. He wants them to know of his progress as they labor together with him in the gospel. And he sends his fellow minister Tychicus to them to comfort them and care for them. It was a common practice of Paul. If he could not be with the church to send others to care for their needs. These were an expression of his great love for the church. And more than this, an expression of the heart of God for the care of his church. You see, in Paul's tender affection that you see is expressed the heart of God for the church. Let me tell you something, church. God loves you. And he loves you with an intense longing. And I know it because I love you with an intense longing. And it came from the Spirit of God. It was not something that I manufactured in my heart. And you need to know that God desires your welfare and your well-being. And He desires to care for you and to strengthen you and to prosper you and to make it well with your soul and to fill your life with His joy and His peace and His kindness and His gentleness. He wants you to be the beneficiaries of His great blessing and the riches that He's given to us in Christ. We simply need to appropriate the things that He's given us. Amen? I mean, if this book of Ephesians hasn't taught us that we have inexhaustible resources in God for life, what has it said? Amen? I hear in the words of Paul the great love that God has for his church. Amen? I pray that you will recognize that. And I pray that you'll cry out to God and that you'll trust him and serve him and love him and follow him with all of your heart. And I know it will be for your good. And I know that God will make good on every promise that he's given. Amen? And this is what your life will look like. It'll be peace to the brethren, and it'll be love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it'll be a life with grace to all those who love our Lord Jesus with an incorruptible love. You'll live and you'll walk in the favor of God. That's what grace is. Grace is a favor from God that you didn't earn. It's a favor from God that he gives freely to all who love the Lord Jesus with incorruptible love. Amen? So I just want to say, it's yours, church. The surpassing riches of the grace of God belongs to you. You simply have to receive it from God. Amen? Shall we pray? God, our Father, Lord, we thank you uh, for this great book, Ephesians, God. It is, it is so profound. I pray, Lord, that you would impress these words upon our hearts, even your very word from the Apostle Paul, God. Write it on our hearts, I pray, God. Oh, Lord, remind us, even when we're walking through those deep valleys, God, 
When, when, when it's like the valley of the shadow of death, God, dark on both sides, we can hardly see. I pray that you'll remind us of these riches that are ours, God. And that it would always and continually encourage us, Lord, to continually trust you with all of our heart. And not to lean on our own understanding, God, but to acknowledge you in every one of our ways. And to rest on your good promise, Lord, that you're going to make our path straight. Lord, that you're going to see us through till the end. And that you're going to give us everything that we need in the future days to, to, to live our life, God. And to make it to the end victorious with all of your glorious and wonderful church. I pray, God, that you would continually remind us of these things and strengthen and encourage our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.